0: We are going through the book of Matthew, but you know, I don't know about you, but it seems like the holidays kind of sneak up. I know they're coming and all of a sudden it's Thanksgiving. And I think it's because we enjoy summer so much and we've had this long, beautiful fall. It Goes fast when it's nice like that. So I thought, you know what? We need to talk about Thanksgiving because we're in a culture that does not understand about giving thanks. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. Thanksgiving. Our passage is First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twelve and following. Now Paul is talking to the Thessalonians, which were it's just a great church. But like every church, there's no perfect church. There's challenges in the church. Some people come to a church and say, Oh, there's problems in that church. Well, listen, don't if you find a perfect church, just don't go to that church because you'll wreck it. Um, the churches that have the least problems are the dead ones. When you give a bunch of live people, there's going to be some friction. But the challenge is for us as believers to make decisions. We have grace so we can make decisions to love people, forgive people. Circumstance can make you feel thankful. But 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything Give thanks. That's an act of the will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Lord, I pray that we would be a reflection of your grace, that your children would be a thanksgiving people. Lord, we'd be known by our supernatural peace and supernatural joy, by the testimonies of supernatural provision, so that Even in trouble, the lost might ask us of the hope that lies within us. We might give an answer about our Savior, Jesus. During this Thanksgiving season, Lord, I pray that we would learn to be more and more a people of prayer and a people of grace. Give us understanding now of your word, Lord. I pray that I might be spirit-filled as a teacher. And Lord, that we might be conformed to your image. In Jesus' name, amen. John MacArthur said the early church was characterized by thanksgiving. When you think about that, they were in a very adverse culture, a very pagan culture, kind of like the culture we live in today, with less freedoms than we have. And more persecution than we experience in the United States, although there's great persecution around the world against believers. But the early church was characterized by thanksgiving. When the early church met, they gathered with the purpose of giving thanks. Somebody had a psalm, somebody had a prayer, somebody had a word from the Lord, and a lot of folks had the opportunity to say thanks. When you have fellowship with believers in small groups, is that what's characterized by it? About thanksgiving, about testimony, what the Lord has done. That's real fellowship. When we encourage one another as we get together, That's what characterized the early church. But the world is made up of thankless people, is it not? We live in a culture of just tremendous anger. All you have to do is drive on the streets, and people are very angry about the traffic in Laramie. Listen, I've been to the places, this is not traffic. You know, you go to Thailand, and I didn't drive in Thailand. I would not tempt God that way. But just being in a taxi is on the border of that, and there's no rules. And you wait for hours, whether in Chicago or, you know, you know when you go to Denver, you, you time your trips and you can, don't you? Because, I mean, you never know how long it's going to take you. One time it took four or five hours to make that two-hour drive. You just never know. We don't have traffic here. But people are very, very angry. They don't give thanks. Why is that? Well, because they don't see God. They don't know God. And so they think when good things happen, it's just luck. And so luck is not a person. You don't thank luck when good things happen. You just feel lucky. Some are thankless because they just think it's destiny. Stuff just happens. And so since it's just chance, it just happens, then, you know, you don't thank chance. You just thank your lucky stars, I guess. And some are thankless toward God because if there's anything good, they're the ones that did it. You know, they have that little deal that, you know, it's not in the Bible, but they've made up their own thing. God helps those that help themselves. remember years ago, going to visit a man in the hospital on his umpteenth bypass. He'd been very successful as a rancher, and I was just a young pastor, and he had a testimony. They went to church once in a while, and so I was just there to minister and learning as all of us young pastors do we don't know what to say we just go and hope God gives us something and I said well you know God has really blessed you He said, hey listen I did this and when somebody says something I wait for the lightning to strike the amazing part with me he lived through that and for many many years after that and I thought wow what an attitude I hope you know that attitude was straightened out before he met his maker but the world is full of of thankless people, and they give credit to everything else but God. Why? Why are they like that? In our culture, as we become more and more thankless and more and more angry, and we have so much, that's the amazing part, even poor people in our nation have more than almost everybody else in the world. That's why everyone else wants to come here. Do we have problems? Yes, we do. Do we have poor people? Yes, we do. But not like the rest of the world. We don't understand poverty. That's why it's so good for you college students when you get an opportunity to take a mission field, a mission trip to a third world country. And if nothing else is accomplished, you'll come home thankful for clean water, for clean streets, for law and order, But the Bible says we are becoming like that with all of the things that we have. We are becoming a thankless, angry people because we've turned our back on God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, this is what happens to nations. Even though they know God or they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. I want you to listen to this. This is a uh, the first national proclamation of thanksgiving. Uh, the first was penned by Samuel Adams, the Continental Congress in 1777 from its temporary location in York, Pennsylvania. Listen to this. This is an amazing thing. For as much as... "...the indispensable duty of all men to adore the superintending providence of Almighty God, to acknowledge with gratitude their obligation to Him for benefits received, and to implore such further blessings as they stand in need of, and it having pleased Him in His abundant mercy not only to continue to us the innumerable bounties of His common providence, but also to smile upon us in the prosecution of a just and necessary war for the defense and establishment of our inalienable rights and liberties particular in that he hath been pleased in so great a measure to prosper the means used for the support of our troops and to crown our arms with most signal success. They were honoring God for all their victories. It is therefore recommended to the legislative or executive powers of the United States to set apart Thursday, the 18th day of December, next for solemn thanksgiving and praise, that at one time and one voice, The good people may express the grateful feelings of their hearts and consecrate themselves to the service of their divine, and that, together with their sincere acknowledgments and offerings, they may join the penitent confession of their manifold sins, whereby they have forfeited every favor and their humble and earnest supplication, that it may please God through the merits of Jesus Christ mercifully to forgive and to blot out of remembrance that it may please him graciously to afford this blessing on the governments of these states respectively and prosper the public council of the whole to inspire our commanders both by land and sea and that all under them, that with all wisdom and fortitude they may render them fit instruments under the providence of almighty God to secure for these United States the greatest of all human blessings, independence and peace that it may please him to prosper the trades and manufactures of the people and the labor of the husbandmen, that our land may yield its increase to take schools and seminaries of education so necessary for cultivating the principles of true liberty, virtue, and piety under his nurturing hand and to prosper the means of religion for the promotion and enlargement of that kingdom which consists in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, And it is further recommended that servile labor and such recreation as though at other times innocent may be unbecoming the purpose of this appointment be omitted so solemn an occasion. Is that amazing or what? They can tell you that we're not a Christian nation and it had nothing to do with it. That's not true. That's why these modern day people so often want to not talk about history they want a new thing. It used to be they looked at our Constitution like, well, isn't it nice? It's so flexible. We can make it mean whatever they, we want it to mean. Now it's come to the place they want a new Constitution because it not, does, does not ex- reflect their values, and they are absolutely correct. So what is our hope as believers? Our only hope is to pray. Our only hope is to pray. I read uh, the proclamation by John F. Kennedy and uh, in 1963, and he said, over three centuries ago, our forefathers of Virginia, Massachusetts, far from home in a lonely wilderness set aside a time of thanksgiving. On the appointed day, they gave reverent thanks for their safety, for the health of their children, for the fertility of the land, and for the love which bounded them together and for the faith which united them with their God. Not bad, but Jesus isn't there anymore. Sins are not mentioned anymore. And then President Obama, I read his proclamation uh, in uh, 2015, uh, and it said something like, or maybe it was 2013, well, we need to thank one another and all the different peoples from all over the place for what we have in a nation. Mm -hmm. The Bible says the the, the, the wicked will be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4 says, But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This has been probably the most thankless age there ever was. On the one hand, you have people that have more than they've ever had, but you also have a people who know there's more, yet they don't have. And so no matter what they have, they don't have everything they could have, and so they don't have everything they want, and so it breeds a terrible kind of thanklessness. But the New Testament commands us as believers in the midst of this culture to be lights, to be a thankful people. What causes thankfulness in the hearts of believers? What causes unthankfulness in the hearts of unbelievers? In the hearts of believers, the same thing co- that's caused in the other in the hearts of, unbelie- of unbelievers. Believers can become unthankful also by sin, pride, selfishness, greed. In Psalm 73, you see an example. The psalmist is looking around at the wicked, and he says, how come they get so much? How come it seems they live long lives, and nothing bad happens to them? They pass it on to their children, and it just seems like I'm doing this for nothing. He says, then I came into the house of God, and I considered the path of their feet. Surely he has set their their feet on slippery paths. They go suddenly down to destruction. See, we as believers have the opportunity to step back and take an eternal view of what's going on in the world. And we have the opportunity, because of grace, to have the disciplines of grace. That we can make a decision. A person lost in sin can't stop sinning. And he doesn't have the grace to be able to make a difference in his own attitude. He can think positive, but when negative things happen, eventually they just give up, and they get bitter. I remember my dad preaching, Satan doesn't have any happy old men, just bitter ones. What are the disciplines of grace? I think we have a, a great example here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 24. He said, rejoice always. Rejoice always. But when something bad is happening, you have to make a decision to praise the Lord. And in that moment of even tremendous pain or sorrow, you can make a decision. That's why it's so important we hide God's word in our heart. Because the Holy Spirit will bring this to your heart at the most, at the hardest times and you may even ask the lord lord how can i praise you now and he will give you a reason because i have promised and never leave you and forsake you and i'm with you and i can give you grace for the trial then he says pray without ceasing philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says be anxious for nothing in the times of great stress don't worry about anything be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication there's an old gospel song that says, Why worry when you can pray? The opposite of that is, Why pray when you can worry? Right? Why pray when you can worry? And you may think that's responsible. Well, I need to be stressed and worry right now because I'm a parent or I'm a rancher or I'm a farmer. And so I think it's just responsible for me to worry about things. The Bible says it's sin. You have a discipline of grace that you have someplace else to go. You can pray. And it's amazing how when God calls you up under that rock, you get a different view of everything else that's going on. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That is a discipline, my friend. But that is a discipline that's available to you because you know the Lord, and you're not alone. And God, in those hard times, if you will acknowledge him. How many times i have been in the funeral home? Even with the loss of a child. And the parents are grieving and they're numb. And I tell them, listen, right now, right now, you be still and know that he is God. Cease striving and be quiet, because during these times, if you will listen... The Lord Jesus will seem closer to you than he's ever seemed before. And if you will listen, he will lead you every step of the way so that when you get on the other side of this trial, what you will remember is Him. Because He wants to speak peace to your soul. He is your shepherd that promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And during those times, if you're listening, if you're available now, if you're just want to just be angry, a lot of people say, I'm just mad at God. Uh First of all, he's not intimidated. He's God. And that's rebellion in your heart. Now listen, that, if that's confession, that's a good thing. The Bible says if we confess our sin, God, I'm just really angry in my heart right now. He knows it. Now you're agreeing with him and you say, God, I'm angry. And that is sin. God changed my heart. But if you're available in those hard times, you will have an opportunity to be close to God And during those times, others will be seeing that you don't have any idea. And later they're going to say, I want to know about the hope that you have. How could you have that kind of peace? That was supernatural. And you will tell them of the grace of your loving Savior. In everything, give thanks. It didn't say in everything, feel thankful because in some of those trials, you're not going to feel it. You're not going to feel it. You're just going to feel pain and tremendous overwhelming sorrow and sometimes just numbness. But if you will give thanks and say, Lord, the Bible says in these times I'm to give thanks. And so, Lord, if all I can think about right now is, Lord, I just thank you that you're God. And you're a sovereign God and this didn't take you by accident. Romans 8, 28 says, and this, Jonathan Edwards called this the, the safest doctrine in all of Christianity is God's sovereignty. So that we know that God causes all things to work together for good to them that love him, to them who are called according to his purpose. And if that's all you know in the in trial, the, in the trial, That is enough. That is enough. Because you can say, God, I know that you love me. And you've promised to never leave me. And I don't understand this, but I'm so thankful I hold the hand. The the one that holds the hand is the one that does know what's going on. And this doesn't surprise you. And, Lord, you have promised us peace. So, Lord, give us peace. Lord, give me the next step of obedience. What God promises his people is his worship will increase. I've told you before about when our youngest son died. I remember sharing that testimony of how God led us through there and had one of my aunts patted me on the arm after shared the testimony. My dad said, you need to share this with the family. And so I did. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. No, she missed the total point. Because when Christy and I think about when God took Jesse from us, yes, there's still sorrow. There's an empty spot there. But we know where he's at. And what I remember is the Lord. What I remember is the grace. And that's not the last trial we will probably experience. And it's not the last trial, as you've had a hard trial in your life, that you will experience. But God wants his grace to be sufficient in your life. So he allows those trials that you might know him better. Romans chapter 5. That's why Paul said we glory in tribulation also because tribulation works patience. That's the ability to endure pain and suffering. And patience experience. The experience, you know God's been faithful before, and you know no matter what happens, he's going to be faithful always. He's promised to be faithful. He said in the Psalms, the psalmist said, your word, O oh Lord, is forever settled in heavens. You can depend on his word and his faithfulness. It's an exercise of the will. In Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, it says, be filled with the spirit. Now that pul- Parallel passage is found in Colossians 3, 15, 16. What is that? Be filled up with the word of God so the Holy Spirit has something to use in your life when you come to the trial so that your reaction is Bible. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, has said his desire for his people was that they be so filled up with Scripture that if you cut them anywhere, they would just bleed bibline. So that whatever comes our way, we act because of what the Scripture says, not what we feel. So we experience God's grace. He goes on to say, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. What do we have to be thankful for? First of all, our salvation. The world doesn't know about that. They have no idea. They think you just have religion. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians nine fifteen, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Secondly, you have access into the very throne room of God as we were praying this morning as elders before coming in here. Rich reminded me of that. The Bible says, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted just like we are, yet without sin. therefore, We can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. In the Old Testament, there was a veil, and only the only the high priest once a year had access into the holy of holies. And we have access because of our Savior Jesus Christ to bring all of our cares, all of our confusions, to Jesus in prayer. And He is our advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We have security. We know the sovereign God of the Bible. And Paul asks, in Romans chapter 8, verse 38, what will separate us from the love of God? Peril, nakedness, famine, sword? No, he said, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. All the stories and the testimonies we will hear in heaven of God's saints who had victory in spite of overwhelming odds, who could even die in joy, because of God's grace. He said, I am convinced that nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And we have purpose. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he says, knowing therefore, that when we leave this tent, we have a building in heaven. You have a new body waiting in heaven, not made with hands, made by God, so that you might have courage To know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to a believer. It is the best. It is your crowning day. We sing those songs at funeral we used to in the old days. Glad day, glad day, the crowning day. To go home, to be with the Lord Jesus, to see him face to face. That's the hope of heaven. Yes, there's streets of gold and the perfect climate and all the provision, but the best thing about heaven for the believer is finally to one day see him face to face. You have this purpose, he goes on to say, whether absent from the body and present with the Lord or absent from the Lord and in this body to serve. You have one ambition. You have purpose to be pleasing unto him. And what purpose has he given the church? And who's the church? Us. Believers. He said, all authority is given unto me. Go into all the world and make disciples of every creature. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things. What's that? That's the opportunity that every believer has to share the gospel with those that are around him. And the Bible says in the Psalms that he that goes forth weeping bearing precious seeds, that you understand your purpose, your privilege to be an ambassador for Christ, and whatever else God has put in your hand, that the, what you do to make money, whether that's being an educator, a doctor, a lawyer, a mechanic, a carpenter, whatever God's put in your hand to do, you do that heart of the Lord because your main purpose is to bring light to those people that you meet day to day. He's given you purpose, and he's given you provision Hebrews 13.5 says, being content with what you have, for he himself says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. That's the best provision of all, isn't it? You say, but God's called us this ministry, and and I don't know if we have the money to do it. God's not worried about money. He just wants your attention. He owns the cattle in a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He can just sell a couple herds to get done what he's called you to do, he will do it. He is faithful. And when he does, when he shows up to rescue you and provide, you will have a greater worship because you knew that God led you in that, God provided you in that, God protected you in that. And he has given you supernatural peace. That's why you don't have to worry about everything. And you know what else we have? We could go on and on. We have eternal riches. We have eternal riches. That's what the Psalm 73, Psalm 73 had forgotten. Even if the world gets everything here and they gain the whole world and they lose their own soul, Jesus said, you think that's a good business decision? To get everything for 70, 80 years and then lose your soul for eternity? Paul wrote in Romans, and he said, whatever suffering you have here cannot be compared to the glory, the wealth that we will enjoy throughout all eternity. Peter wrote, and he said, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. You are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though for a little while, if necessary, you become distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And get this verse. And though you have never seen him, you love him, right? You've never seen Jesus, but as a believer, that is your faith. You possess that treasure in earthen vessels. And though you have never seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. But sometimes we forget. Born to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave. Prone to forget. And sometimes we forget. And sometimes it takes a trial to remind us. And we're brought back to the word of God. And we realize how sure. Like Paul wrote, I am convinced. I know whom I believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You have something the world doesn't know about. If you're here this morning and you have religion but you have no power, and you say, I just don't know how, how to do it. Well, you need to cease striving, know that he is God. Submit yourself to Jesus Christ. And he will give you new life. As a believer, it's not trying harder. It's allowing his spirit to live through you. And realizing all of the riches of God in Christ Jesus that you possess. And then you will be a reflection of thanksgiving. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Oh, how you loved us. You've given us a new name and you've written it down in glory. Glory. And it's mine. Yes, it's mine. Lord, I pray if there are any here that do not know you, they don't have these securities. They don't have this wealth. They don't have that grace. Lord, this morning, you'd draw them to yourself. You'd give them a broken and contrite spirit. You'd give them the recognition of the awful place they're in before Christ. And Lord, give them the grace to trust you. And for us as believers, Lord, I pray that we would be mindful, that we would be sensitive to opportunities to give thanks to you in the world, to be a light that shines in the darkness. Lord, that others might ask about that hope. Lord, help us not to be discouraged with the times or cultures Lord, give us an opportunity, Lord, for great harvest. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.